a refreshing thing. It is such a beautiful thing, brethren, that uh, you have a conference like this, and uh, all the men who have preached are very silent. And uh, it's such a, a comforting thing as a, as a pastor, as an elder, amen, that you're not sitting on the edge of your seat going, am I going to have to get up? Am I going to have to take the guy out of the pulpit because of something he said, amen? And, uh, and so, again, just so appreciative of the men and so grateful for the theme that we're talking about and the importance of the local church. And uh, as has already been said, the love the Lord Jesus Christ has for the local church cannot be measured. It is quite a stunning and amazing thing. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be uh, looking at that text for just a short time. We'll be given, a, uh, as we say, a Reader's Digest condensed version of, uh, of uh, this particular text. And let me just begin by quoting Charles Spurgeon. He said, The elect church is the favorite of heaven, the treasure of Christ, the crown of his head. It is the bracelet of his arm, the breastplate of his heart, the very center and core of his love. It is a stunning thing, again, brethren, as we consider how the Lord Jesus Christ loves the local church. It is a most stunning thing. Listen as Spurgeon continues. He makes rich provision for her. And again, we've heard uh, the the Lord's work, the glorious work through faith alone and Christ alone, this work, that this provision that he provides to those who are in the local church is a most stunning thing. He pays all of her debts. He allows her to assume his name. It is a stunning thing to consider, again, the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for his local church. Listen as Spurgeon finishes, my sister, or he says, he calls the church my sister, my spouse, as if he could not express his near and dear relationship to her by any one term. So he employs two terms. My sister, that is one by birth, a partaker of the same nature. My spouse, he said, that is one love, joined by the sacred ties of affection that can never be broken. It is an amazing thing. Again, I was telling Pastor John, it's funny how these things intersect. When your Bible-believing preachers and men of the Word, these these contexts and these verses, they kind of all come together. It's an amazing thing because, brethren, as a preacher, you can't improve on the Word of God. And so you look at the Word of God and you say, what does God say concerning the local church and the family? And again, I, I was so appreciative of, you know, Pastor John's message concerning these, if you will, these other organizations that are, that are sneaking up on the church, not only sneaking up, but they are intersecting, and they are drawing away from the local church. They are, if you will, interfering with the local church. And it's unfortunate, brethren, again, this is why we have these conferences. That's why, Lord willing, this is our first annual conference. May the Lord bless us with many more, so that as we grow in the Lord, we understand that everything else must be laid aside. Your football game, your wrestling, your whatever it is needs to be laid aside so that we as the church of God, the church of Christ, as we gather together, we are there to do those one another's. Holy Writ declares that the local church is indeed the household of God. It is the family of God. And again, Pastor John has already said it. It is that which the Lord Jesus purchased with his own blood. Unfortunately, brethren, again, we are living in a time, and many of you are familiar with the term downgrade. 
You are familiar with that which Spurgeon and Schindler and these men were concerned about back in their era. In fact, Schindler was a good friend of Spurgeon who really wrote the article on the downgrade. He published it in The Sword and Trowel, and it was a stunning thing as he looked at the fundamental things that were being downgraded, those important foundational things, and he wrote about them, and Spurgeon then just kept that alive. He kept talking about it, kept going on and on and on. And brethren, we are in a steep, steep downgrade when it comes to loving the church of Christ. It's an amazing thing, the unbiblical view that people have concerning the church and the family. This is the thing, brethren. They intersect together. It's an amazing thing. And somehow we've compartmentalized it. We've turned it into, well, the family does this and the church does this. No, brethren, the church is an extension of what? Your family. This is what it is. And there are things that take place within the local church. As has already been said, again, that's why preaching at the end, you just kind of get to kind of give everybody a Reader's Digest conversion of what's been preached. But in the end, brethren, it is a coming together of the families that have been set free from the bondage of sin. And we gather together here in the local church. This afternoon, God in his wisdom has surely given unto you and I a most treasured piece of holy scripture a most precious treasure in the book of ephesians again every book every book in the bible they're all inspired they're all there for a reason but here we see in the book of ephesians a most glorious thing as paul is carried along by the spirit of god in the divine pages of the book of ephesians, he tutors us he instructs us if you will concerning how the local church and the family, who are under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they are to function together, listen, not as some kind of an organization, but as a living organism. You understand that, that the family, the church, they are living organisms. They're not some just organizations that men came up with, as we've heard. They are indeed from the minds of God himself. And so to have a biblical, proper view, we must again turn here to that which never changes. The word of God never changes. It is the same today and tomorrow and as it will always be. And again, God here leads Paul to write in the book of Ephesians, if you will, about this living organisms, the family and the church together. They're not separate. They are together. It is a most stunning thing. And I want you to see this again. And we're going just, to just kind of lay the groundwork I don't have as, as other preachers haven't had a lot of time. So we're going to, again, Reader's Digest condensed version. I want you to see this together, how Paul, as he's led by the Spirit of God, lays out here in the book of Ephesians, first of all, spirit-filled worship. Now, what follows in the text? <laughs> you and I, brethren, as husbands, as wives, as children, okay, will never be able to do the things that Paul writes about here concerning worship, concerning the family, concerning the local church, without first being spirit-filled. And I don't mean in a charismatic way. I'm talking about the Spirit of God working in your spirit, which then, as one brother was saying, that gives you a desire to do the things and to be a part of the local church. Look at there, if you would, for just a moment as Paul, turn there, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20. Here we see Paul giving us a glorious example of, if you will, spirit-filled worship. It starts with that here in verse number 18. Look there, if you would. 
and be not drunk on wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Here it is again. This is a Spirit-filled thing. This is something when the Holy Spirit comes in you, amen, He gives you that desire, He gives you that drive. Spirit-filled worship. Look what He says. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts off, Paul starts off here, if you want to be, have spirit-filled worship, you must be filled with the Spirit, amen? He is the one who generates these things. This is not something that, that man can generate on themselves, in themselves, it is a stunning thing. It is something that the Spirit of God gives to you when you begin to prioritize things concerning your family and the local church. It is something that is meshed and timed together, if you will. Verse 21, there's spirit-filled submission. We're going to get into that one a little bit. That's a word nobody really likes anymore, but it is a most important word to the child of God. You see there, verses 22 through 33, there's spirit-filled marriages. This is what this is all about. If you want to be a good husband, if you want to be a good wife, if you want to be a good, again, as we look and see, if you want a family that is godly who is gathering together with the local church only through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, can he give us those desires? In fact, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we see there a spirit-filled home, a spirit-filled family. Five through nine in, in chapter six, uh, if you will, just by giving kind of a general layout, is spirit-filled service. This is how we serve God. Now look at verses 10 through 17. There's spirit-filled warfare. This is the other thing, right? There is a war that we are involved in concerning our relationship with the church and the Lord Jesus Christ and the war that we have with the evil one himself. It's an amazing, stunning thing. Finally, look at verse 18. This is spirit-filled prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So, again, a glorious thing that's laid out there. We don't have enough time to even, uh, brothers and sisters, delve down too deep into it. But this is what Paul has done. He's giving us, a, if you will, an inspired uh, outline of how the church and the family are to function together. And, again, this is the thing. We can't separate them. Amen? You have your family at home, but the same principles, that, for the most part, that apply at home apply in the local church. It's a stunning thing. It's the same principles that there, that's there. Now look at verse 21. Again, as we look at this together just briefly, look what the Bible says there. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In the fear of God. Paul begins here by using one of his most treasured expressions when it comes to, if you will, the building up of the local church. He uses the term one another. He says we are to submit one to another. Uh, that word submit there really, not in the fear of men, but in the fear of God. And as the local church, we, the word really literally means to arrange ourselves in an orderly, if you will, manner. We are to voluntarily, brothers, it's a stunning thing. We are to voluntarily yield ourselves in order under authority, which is a word that nobody likes. I've talked to Pastor John on many occasions. Part of this has to do with people not wanting to be under the authority of those whom God has given to over-shepherd and oversee the under-shepherd of this church. 
We live in such a society that people move and they do this and they do that. They're, they're, they're not under any kind of authority, much less when it comes to the local church where they should be under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd, but the under-shepherds whom God has put certainly in place. We are to submit to one another, which, of course, is divinely designed by God to be reciprocal. Do you understand that? (laughs) It's not a one-way street, brothers and sisters. It is to be reciprocal. I am to do the one another's to you, and you are to do the one another's to me in the local church, which is quite amazing as we consider this thing. And it is fashioned by him to be a mutually beneficial activity. Let me show you this again here in the book of Ephesians. This reciprocal thing, these one another's that Paul speaks of, in fact, 45 times. We are told to do some godly thing to one another in the local church. You can't do it apart, as one brother said. We can't do it really apart from being Christians together, being brothers and sisters in the Lord, and then doing those things. 45 times. In the New Testament, we are told to do these things. Just a couple of them because we don't have time. Look back at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. And when we do these things biblically, when it's reciprocal like God has designed it to be, it brings glorious... Guys, those who come here on a regular basis, no, I don't like liberal words, but I like to use them because I like to poke them in the eye a little bit. When we do this... It brings forth glorious harmony in the local fellowship, brethren. It's an amazing, stunning thing. Although harmony is a, is a biblical word, but I like to poke the liberty. Oh, we're all in harmony. No, actually, we're in harmony when we come together and we do these one another's in a reciprocal kind of way. That's when we're in harmony. Look at how beneficial this is to the local church and to the family. When we're in harmony, look at verse number one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With what? All loneliness and meekness. Listen to those words, brethren, as we humble ourselves before one another. And all long-suffering, listen, forbearing one another, what? In love. There it is. There's one of the 45 times we are to forbear one another in meekness and lowliness in love one another. That is a glorious thing that keeps harmony within the family and it keeps harmony within the local church. That's just one of them. It's an amazing thing. Look at verse 32 of that chapter. Chapter 4, look at verse 32. There's another one another. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearting, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Do you see that there? Families don't operate well in harmony unless we are willing to do these things. It is the same in the local church. They are tied together. Churches will not function biblically or rightly without the brothers submitting one to another, doing these one another's, loving one another's, caring for one another, all of the things that the Bible says here. It will not. Look what it says. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Paul uses in Romans chapter 12. Just turn there quickly. Romans chapter 12. This is again is something that he loved. This phrase. 
this one another phrase that he used. Look at Romans chapter 12, just another example. There's, again, so many, but just, again, the idea here of the church and the family together as they come together, living in glorious harmony together. Look at Romans chapter 12. Look at verse number 9. Look there what it says. Let love be without dissimulation. That means hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. There it is again. We see this humbleness that brothers and sisters should have and families should have within the family unit. Again, that makes the family. And again, when the family comes into the fellowship, brothers and sisters, it is nothing more than an extension of what went on at home. You come here, we see how the families function. They function the same way in the local church. It makes it, brethren, when the family is, is right, when the family's right, the church is right. Do you understand that? It makes the elders not so laborious. There's this laborious thing that happens with elders when there's so much dysfunction within can I use that word? That's kind of a liberal word, too. But so much disorder, let me use that word, I like that better, in the families. It is something, brethren, that is near and dear to us and near and dear to Christ. That word preferring means giving preference. Give preference to your brother or sister. When those whom the Spirit of God has placed in the local church submit to one, to one another, everyone benefits. It is a glorious thing. As I said 45 times in sacred scripture, we are told to do godly things one to another. However, if I can, not on a negative note, but do you realize also that in holy scripture, there's eight times, eight times that Paul uses this terminology in a negative sense. In other words, there are eight things we are not supposed to do to one another. And you know what's kind of amazing to me? Is that our sinful natures, we like those eight. It's those other 45 that are difficult to do. Sometimes we like to talk about our brothers. Sometimes we like to do this or that. For whatever reason, our carnal nature likes that. That's why it's such a teaching. That's why it's spirit-filled, because you have to, uh, the Spirit of God must give you that desire to do the right thing. We, by default, will gossip about Howard. We, by default, if we're not careful, will speak ill of our brothers. We will, by default, just let it go. Paul says eight times, do not, do not do this ungodly thing to one another. Let me just give you one. Galatians chapter 5. Look there if you would. This is one of the eight. Galatians chapter 5. Look there if you would at verse number 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 13. The, the Bible says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. It, it, it's a glorious thing, right? I mean, when God takes something out, he replaces it with something godly. You know what I mean? I think Brother Keith, you and I were talking one time. God never takes that thing we're not supposed to do out and then leave a void. Never. He takes that out and he replaces it with what? Something godly. Don't do this, but do this. So look at there. Look what he says. 
It's kind of the opposite here. He says, but, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Look at verse 15. Don't do this. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed, brethren. Take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And so again, we see this glorious, if you will, description of how the Christian is supposed to operate in the local church and operate in their families when they're not at the church, although they come together. They are one when we come together and gather together. Submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of God is a command for us to be humble. And again, brethren, this is it. It is a command for us to live out our spirit-filled lives, giving preference one to another. Now, he deals with the one another's. This is how the church, the local church, functions. Then he takes us to another level. He again uses another example of how the family and the local church are together. And it's a glorious institution, if you will, the institution of marriage. And I want us again to see this. It is a glorious thing that God has Paul write. Look back there, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at 22, 23, and 24. Look what he does here again. We've got spirit-filled worship. We've got spirit-filled submission. You want to have a spirit-filled marriage? You want to have a spirit-filled, if you will, and I know we've got some singles here and we've got some widows here. These principles apply. You are part of the family of God as well. We see here, though, look at verse 22, 23, 24. And I want you to notice this. Again, this is God's divine order, if you will. But I want you to notice the direction of the order. <laughs> it's really quite interesting. You'll see. Remember math? Remember, guys? Sometimes we have an English lesson. Sometimes we get a math lesson. And today, we're going to get another math lesson. You remember in math when you're saying, okay, this is greater. It's going from lesser to greater. Watch this. As Paul speaks of the wives and then the order that he gives, and it's lesser to greater in every instant. Look at here. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. For as to who? The Lord. So we got the wives submitting to the husbands as unto the Lord. It's a godly, beautiful, glorious thing that wives do. And when wives do that, the local church is sound, the family is sound, this is how it works. Now you think, okay, we're going to address it. Look at verse 23. For as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You see that again? From lesser to greater, Christ is greater, the church then is submitting to him. You see that? The order. This is what we're doing here. This is the godly order. So women, when you're talking about submitting to your husband, you're doing something godly because your husbands are godly. And it is a godly thing. It is a right thing to do. Because again, the church and the family go together. Look at the direction. Verse number 23. For as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, for he is the Savior of the body. Look at verse 24. Therefore the church is subject unto Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. Again, brethren, we see this thing. The wives. And let me just say this about this. Here's what happens. <laughs> Brother John, you've been around independent Baptist churches for a while. I was involved in some independent Baptist churches. And 
It is such a tragedy. It is so, such a tragedy, brother, an unholy tragedy. When a preacher will stand up, or a husband who is involved in something like this, will stand up and they read verse 22 all by itself. You ever notice that? Bible verses are not by themselves. There's always context. There's context before it. Remember there? Remember what he told us to do? We're to submit to one another. It is a tragedy when men will read this verse and pastors will read this verse and they'll treat their wives like some kind of a doormat of some sort. It's an unholy thing. We have verses preceding, verses proceeding, calling on the men to be a certain way within their families so that their wife will not as what happens, and as, as I have seen happen with men who take this verse standing alone, treating their li- wives like they're some kind of doormat of some sort, something that has no value, they'll just run them over. It's an amazing thing. It causes wives to do the opposite. It causes wives, instead of submitting to their husbands, it causes them to what? To become spiteful. It causes them to, if you will, to become resentful and rebellious. As I said, no verse of Scripture stands alone. There's always context before, context after, and we must read it in that context, right? That's what context, context, context. What's said before? What's said after? You cannot read 18, 19, 20, and 21 and then treat your wife like a piece of trash. You can't treat your, read the verses following and then say, well, I'm just going to treat her like a doormat. You can't do it. Look. Look at what it says. Why? Preceding and proceeding verses. Look at verse 26 and verse 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of the water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present it. He, Christ, is going to wash it. He's going to cleanse it. He is going to present it. Amen. If you will, to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Amen? So we see this here again. Verse 30, drop down there. So we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones, for this cause. Here we have. Here's why, as we look at the church, as we look at families, as we are constructed in the way that God would have us be constructed, not, shall we say, undoing it, coming up with our own way of doing it, coming up with our own way of thinking. You see what happens when they have their own way of thinking. Look around us, brothers and sisters. Marriage is almost completely done away with, it appears. We'll just live together. We'll just fornicate together. We'll just not even stay together. We'll just do whatever we're going to do. In fact, well, i got to be careful. There's young kids here. You can go to some really unholy places when this gets out of order, along with the church. You see how this works? Most of the churches, brethren, have caved. You understand that. Most of them have caved. It is no longer what God says about marriage. It's no longer about what the Bible says about these sorts of things. It's what we think. And as soon as we start doing that, you get what we got, which is a complete unholy mass of, I don't know what the word, the right adjective would be. It is a disaster. That's what happens, brethren. When the family's out of order, the church 
can very quickly become out of order. The family and church go together. It's an amazing, stunning thing. When we do these things properly and in order as God is laying out for us here, the church and the family, it brings harmony <laughs> as the local church and the family congregate together. And again, we noticed the order of authority, which is never reversed. Now look there, if you would, as we try and bring this to a close. Again, this all fits in with the health of the local church. Any pastor knows this. Brothers, anybody knows this. When the family's right, and we gather together and we congregate together, the church is right. As the family goes, brother, and listen, the church, the local church we are a part of, that we are all gathered together in, we are who our families are. That's who we are. That's why the church and the family go together. Now look at here. Look at this great and wonderful responsibility God gives to the men. He's laid it all out here. These are the godly things we should do, the one another's, all of these things. And then he tells the husbands, the men, to do this. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I've said this before. How many times does God have to say something in holy writ before it's right and true? Once. He doesn't do that here. There's something here, brethren, that's deeper than we as men can even begin to imagine. Because he doesn't say it once, and not only does he say it, men love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's an incredible, again, love that we've looked and seen concerning that. This is something I, I told my wife. She's, she's not in here. Where? Oh, good. I got freedom to preach then because she really knows me. She knows me. Listen here. Look down at verse 28. Not once, twice. Look what it says. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Look at verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. Now that's twice. It's an amazing thing. You know that word cherish there is very interesting to us. He tells us in verse 39 or 29 that we are to love as our own bodies as we nourish and cherish. And that word cherish means to brood over. We're to love our wives in such a way as Christ loved the church. We're to love our wives as Christ, uh, uh, as, as our own bodies, which means we are to cherish them. We are to brood over them. You know, in Antarctica, there's, a, there's some penguins, and the name of them escapes me right now. I can't remember what they're... There's some Antarctic penguins. And it's a stunning thing what they do. It's, it's 80 below zero, brethren. Blowing and it's dark all the time. And mama just lays an egg. Well, I guess, I guess penguins lay eggs. They, they pop out this egg. And you know what they do? The mom takes the egg and puts it up on the top of her feet. And you know what she does? She crunches down and sits over the top of that thing for months protecting that egg from the cold. And then she gets hungry. And you know what the father does? He comes on over there and they, and they get, you know, the little egg gets 
foot on top of the father's feet. You know what the father does? He nestles down on top of it, and he broods over that egg until it hatches. It's a stunning thing. This is what... That, that this is the privilege that God has given to you and I in our families as men to brood over our wives, to treat them, as, as, as Peter said, as the, well, not in a holy way, but as the lesser vessel, if you will. Me and my wife don't think alike. I don't know if you guys have that issue or not. It is quite amazing how you can say something. Right, Brother Dave? Maybe you don't have, maybe it's just me. You say something, and your wife responds to you, and, and, and Brother Graham, this never happens to you, does it? You never say it, but you look and you go, what, what was that? What, what? We are, brethren, at those times, to look at our wives and say, we don't understand each other. We're not speaking, you know, the, the language is different. But we must, as men, we begin with a privilege to honor them, to treat them as the lesser vessel. Do you know what happens, brothers, when we do that? It's a stunning thing. Your wife will submit to you gladly. Your wife will love you so much, she will just submit to you exactly as the Bible says she should. When you and I are brooding over them and loving them and taking care of them, what does that do, brethren, at home? That brings harmony in the home in the family which then when we gather together there's harmony here in the local church it's a glorious thing the problem is it's a lot of work man I've been married not long brother John how many years quite a few years are you still working at it brother because I've been married 30 honey where are you 35 years and let me tell you I'm still working. I'm still working on it. You know why? Because he says it again. Look at verse 32. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. Not once, not twice, three times. It's a spirit-filled thing for a man to do this. And it's the same thing in the local church. When the family's right, the local church, you're going to get tired of me saying that. But brethren, as elders, as pastors, we know this. When the home is right, when the family is right, when we come together, the church is right. Although we're always going to have problems. <laughs> that never ends. I can see that. But our lives are so much more glorious in the home and in the local church when we do things the right way. I like how one pastor put it. How can a husband love this way? How is that possible? Again, we're talking about Christ. How Christ loved the church, this glorious thing, this mystery that Paul says. It's a mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. How can a husband do that? Listen to what he says, brothers. Being filled with the Spirit is like taking a glass, knocking the bottom out of it, sticking it in the river, and letting the river flow through it. Listen, brothers. It's not about filling it up, drinking it, and emptying it. No, we don't empty ourselves of God. When the Spirit of God comes in, He takes up residency there. That's not at all what we do. We take that glass, we put it in there, and we let the river flow the way, He says, in which you are controlled by His Spirit, who is like a river of living water in His constant flow in your innermost spirit. 
This is how there's great harmony in the family and in the local church. They go together. Let's quickly address the children for just a moment. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse number 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're, again, we're, bringing, we're just kind of dragging, bringing everybody into it. We're not going to have the servants and masters. If you look later on in the, cha- in the chapter there, again, there's that submission thing of lesser to greater. Servants are to submit to their masters. That's what it is. But look at verse number 1. Children. Children, are you listening? Selah, are you listening? This is for you, honey. This is for you, Levi and Seth and wherever. All these children over here, Charlie, all, all of you, listen. You want to know the first command God ever gives you? It's right here. Look what it says. Children, obey your parents. Did you hear that? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now listen carefully. As we listen to God's first command he ever gave, the children to obey their parents. Obey means to hear under. It again is a picture of children who submit themselves to the will of their parents. Do you see that again? Lesser to greater. There it is again. It's all through here. Lesser to greater. The church to Christ, it's amazing. Slave to master, now children to parents. Why? Because that brings harmony, brethren, within the family, and it brings harmony within the local church. They are together. It's an amazing thing. They are to obey their parents. Now, Paul gives us here quickly two reasons why children. Are you listening, sailor? Are you looking up here? Thank you, dear. I know you're drawing a picture of me probably over there. He gives us two reasons why children are to obey their parents. Number one, he says it's the spiritual thing to do. The Bible says in the Lord, when a child obeys their parents, it is the way of them serving the Lord. You understand that? This is a way of you serving God. We talk about it in our home all the time, don't we? Yeah, we want to serve the Lord in this way. Number two, it's the ethical and right thing to do, for this is right. Obedience to parents is simply the right thing to do. Children, look at me quickly up here. Did you know that children being disobedient to their parents, do you know what that's a sign of, what that contributes to? The decay of our society. Yes, it does. That's exactly what it is. Go look at Isaiah. When women and children rule, it is what? It's God's judgment. It is good for you to obey your parents and do what they say in a godly manner. Now, I understand. Don't do it if they're telling you to do ungodly things. But most of the time, this particular portion of Scripture is written to Christians. And Christians aren't going to have your children do anything that's unholy. That's a glorious thing. It's the right thing to do. It's the holy thing to do. Look at there now as we kind of finish up. Uh, look at verses 2 and 3. Again, very quickly. Verses 2 and 3. Children, obey your parents. I want to read verse 1 again in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth. Again, brother, children especially, obedience has to do with your outward actions. Honoring your father and mother has to do with your inner person. You understand that? Obeying is an outward thing. God now says not only are we to obey outwardly, we are to honor them inwardly. It's an amazing thing. It has really to do with your attitude towards your parents, the outer and inner person. In fact, I'm reminded quickly here of the young Puritan girl who was sitting 
in the front row of the church right here with her parents, with her parents. And, and as they were getting ready, to, they were supposed to be standing up, and the little girl wanted to sit. I don't want to get up. I want to sit. And the father said, get up. Stand up. We're going to stand up in honor of God's word or whatever it was that was there. And she stood up, and she looked at her father, and she said, well, I'm standing up outwardly, but inwardly I'm still sitting. This brethren cannot be honoring your parents, honoring your father and your mother brings glorious unity in the family and it brings glorious unity in the church. The family and the church go together. You cannot separate them at all. Finally, listen, as we close, one more thing. Fathers, we get involved one more time. As husbands, we have been given some commands here in verse number four as we finish. And ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice here again that Paul gives the Father two commands. One's negative, one's positive. And again, let us lean towards the poverty. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Specifically, don't cause them to be angry. Don't require too much of them. Require enough, but don't require too much where they become and have an angry spirit. That's what this is saying. In your family, if you raise up your children, you know their age-appropriate things. You know what you can do, what you can require of them. Don't ask too much of them to cause them to have an angry spirit and a broken spirit. Be loving and careful with them. Amen? But yet, be, if you will, stern with them. It's a glorious thing that the Father must do. The negative thing is don't do that. Here's the positive thing. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, which carries the idea of training your children and bringing them to a place of maturity, brethren. It's a glorious thing here. Again, I need to be finished up. But you consider all that Paul has said here. All of it. It's all tied to the local church and the family. The two go together. And what does that do? It brings, well, well that's, that could be some harmony. That's kind of musical. It brings harmony, brothers and sisters, to the family and to the local church. The two go together. Let's pray. Father, we, again, are so grateful for this time we can be and spend together. We thank you for all of the men who have preached today thankful for their messages, thankful for the word that you gave unto them, for them too, as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, as they've fed the flock of God today. And Father, we are so appreciative of it. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor in all of this. Father, thank you for your word. And as I said earlier, so grateful to have some men who are sound in the faith, they just get up and open the word of God and preach the word of God to us. And you don't have to worry and wonder. Such a comforting thing. And so, Father, I pray for each of them. Of course, all of us elders here, us three uh, here. But I pray for Brother John Wall. I pray for him as he, as he shepherds the flock over there in Mandan Baptist Church. 
And I know, Lord, you've been gracious unto him, sending some men to come alongside of him and take some of the load and prepare. So, Father, thank you for, uh, if you will, his faithful ministry over 50 years. That is a glorious thing, and we give all the glory and honor to you and praise. Thank you, Father, for Brother Paul Faree. Thank you for uh, his <laughs> insatiable zeal for the word and just the clarity that the men have given here preaching the word. Just so thankful for that. Thank you for their wives and their families as well. May you bless them. May you bless their church with the preaching of the word. And Father, as they grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you for all of us, uh, well, for Dean and Howard, not myself, but I thank you for them as well, for their preaching and contribution. Thank you for that. We're so blessed, so blessed to have men who handle the word of God. And so Father, now as we turn our religious affections towards some questions, some things concerning the Reformation, and the impact that it's had, and and, uh, and and as I was talking with a good sister, we know there's always been faithful remnants, always. There's always been there. You've always had them. You've always kept them. And it's on their shoulders that we are standing here this afternoon, and we thank you for them as well. We ask and pray all these things now in the name that is above every name the name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. The name, as I say, as the, as I say, as the Bible says, the name at which the demons shudder. The name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.